Well, I have the privilege of being with you again this Sunday and proclaiming God's word. I don't take that lightly. You know, you folks come to hear from the Lord. And I am responsible to, sh to be in contact with the Lord and receive from him what I'm to give to you. So he speaks to my heart first. So if at any point anything I say might rub you the wrong way, believe me, I know what it's like because he's rubbed me the wrong way all the way through the preparation of this message. But it is God's word and we want to open God's word. We're going to begin where I left off the last time I was with you because I'm preaching through the book of 1 John every time I'm with you. So we're in John, 1 John chapter 3 verse number 24 this morning. 1 John chapter 3 in verse number 24. Lord, use me, I pray. Fill me with your spirit. Touch the hearts and lives of these people as only you can because, Lord, that's a supernatural work. And, Lord, we want you to do your supernatural work, so use me, fill me, speak to me so I can speak to them. And thank you for saving us. Thank you that we're here this morning as God's people. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, we previously talked about how in verse number 10 through verse number 23 of 1 John chapter 3, how John had just finished talking about how great God's love and how transformational God's love is in the hearts and lives of believers. Because it totally transforms us when we trust Christ as our Savior. We experience Christ's love. And we begin to love more. We begin to care more. We begin to share more. And we have more of a desire to dedicate our lives to Jesus Christ and to follow Him and please God. So today we're going to, in this passage, we're going to see how John expands his thoughts. And he talks about some of the main characteristics seen in the wise Christian's life. But we're going to also talk about how these characteristics in our lives can change us. And not only change our lives, but the lives of those around us. Let's go to 1 John, beginning with verse number 24. Whoever keeps his commands abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come from God, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. 
Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And verse number 7 through verse number 11 was what Seth read to you this morning. So I'm not going to cover that. We'll cover it verse by verse as we go. Let's go back to verse number 24. We read these words. Whoever keeps his commands abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. One thing about a Christian's obedience, it shows some things. And it shows, it's one of the strongest indicators and shows how lovingly devoted and committed that that believer is to Christ. However, the lack of obedience to Christ also shows how undevoted and uncommitted a believer is to Christ. So it works both ways. You see, in the believer's life, a wise Christian always strives to remain deeply devoted to Christ and following his word. You've got an outline in your bulletin. Follow along, fill in the blank as we go, and take it home and check me out. We're going to be talking about that later. 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 1. A wise Christian always strives to remain deeply devoted to Christ and following his word. Hang on to that thought. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. As we saw earlier in the book of 1 John, and we talked about it, Satan had had false teachers infiltrate the church. And when they infiltrated the church, he had an intention in mind. And so did they. To draw believers to what they believed about and the solid doctrinal beliefs they had concerning Christ's person and work and his ability. They wanted to pull those believers away from that. The apostles had taught those things to them. They were firm doctrinal beliefs. You see, these false professors were masquerading as God's servants, God-sent servants, but really they were Satan-sent. They were Satan-sent serpents, serpents, yes, yeah, serpents as well, servants of Satan to infiltrate the church to promote his deceptive lies. And Satan's lives we know are very deceptive because he works in our lives to deceive us and pull us away from where we need to be in our relationship with God. And he works in various ways to do that, to distract us, to pull us away, to get our attention away from where it needs to be on spiritual things. Well, John was very concerned about this, so he encouraged the believers. First of all, the ones that he addressed and wrote to, to examine all the thoughts and teachings of those who claim to be God sent. To make sure that they lined up with God's word. Not automatically accept and follow those teachings just because they claim to be spiritual leaders. Because they were not 
God's spiritual leaders. They were spiritual leaders, all right, leading people in the wrong spiritual direction. Let me ask you a question. How important is quality to you? How important is it? Well, farmers, CEOs, and managers of, main of mainstream corporations in the United States realize how important quality is. They spend millions of dollars a year trying to make sure that the quality of their products and what they produce match up to the high standards that they've set. Millions of dollars are spent in that. Some hire on-site line inspectors. Some hire outside sources to come in and inspect their, what they produce before it hits the market and before it hits the stores to make sure that it's top quality. You know, if non-believers care that much about their products that eventually become outdated and worn out, don't you think that we as believers ought to care even more about the quality of spiritual teaching that we receive from others? Rather than to just accept, readily accept those as truth and follow those things and embrace them as our own thoughts and lives? In our own thoughts and lives? You see, these things are things that impact us both spiritually and eternally. They're things that are very important, the most important things of our lives. As Christians, just like John, we need to see the responsibility of taking time to carefully in, uh, inspect each and every instruction we receive, each and every word that they claim is the word of God, as well as those we receive it from, to make sure that those teachings and views agree with our sound doctrinal position, and the biblical views we hold. Because that's what really matters in life, is the spiritual. Not, it's far more valuable and far more important than anything else in this life should be to us. It is. It's eternal. It's something that's going to last. It's something that molds and shapes us and helps us to live the way we live. You see, it's not easy, even though we're to carefully examine the things that are taught us, and the teachers as well. It's not easy to take time to do that, is it? It's not easy to take time. It's not an easy thing to set aside time in God's word to examine the teachings and these teachers, because we have a lot of things pulling at us in this life. We have busy schedules. We have things in our lives called technology that pull us back away from where our minds ought to be and what we ought to pursue. Let me explain what I'm talking about. After recruiting 94 Android cell phone users to track their personal cell phone use, over a five-day period, the research group Descout found that the heaviest cell phone users tracked, clicked, and swiped. Guess how many times? Somebody throw me out a figure. 
each day? 3,000? Anybody else? Let me say this. About 5,500 times a day. And the others that were tracked, those were the heaviest cell phone users, the others clicked, swiped, or tapped just about 2,500 times a day. Can you imagine that? I don't click, swipe, or tap near those amount of times every day. But that's what the average person does. You see, you're probably thinking like I'm thinking, is that all they have time to do in life? Is click, tap, and swipe on their phones? Well, let me say this. When you, next time you go out to a restaurant and you see a family sitting there, look over and see what they're doing. You know what most of them are doing when I look over? Clicking, tapping, or swiping on their phone. But then we shouldn't get too hard on those people. Because how many times in our lives do we let the lesser things of life replace getting into God's word? And how many times is the word of God shelved so that we can click, tap, or swipe, or do other things that really don't matter, don't amount to anything compared to the eternal? Things that we ought to be doing in our lives, the spiritual things, pursuing the spiritual things rather than those things. You see, God not only expects us to spend time spiritually grounding ourselves in his word, he expects us to know God's word and know how to use God's word to check out what we're being taught, the way we're being led, the things that people are sharing with us that affect our lives. We ought to be checking those things out. You see, we ought to know how to use God's word to check those things out. But, let me say this. This might hurt a little bit. Before we're able to use God's word, we have to be in God's word to know how to use it. So where does spending time in God's word fall in your daily life schedule? Where does it fall in your life schedule, in your daily schedule? You see, a wise Christian takes time to carefully examine a spiritual leader's teaching and what they teach before they accept and follow it. In the past, most Americans like the Amish today heavily relied on horses for work and for travel, right? I mean, before they bought a horse, you know what they did? They opened that horse's mouth and looked at the horse's teeth. You guys that are dating, you might want to do that before you marry her. You might want to open her mouth and check out her teeth. Actually, in a horse, there was a reason for that. The buyer could rely on those teeth to show how healthy that horse was. And it showed the kind of horse it was, the age of the horse, if it was a young horse or old horse. You know, he checked out those teeth so that he wouldn't make a bad purchase 
Well, in a way, like our previous generations, we ought to be just as cautious about accepting those various teachings and thoughts that we all receive from those who claim to be God-sent messengers. We ought to be, even be more cautious than they were about purchasing the horse, about receiving what we receive and applying it and accepting it and embracing it as our own. We need to rely on God's help to guide us and discern us and help us to become discerning in determining those God-sent people and teachers from those who aren't God-sent. We need to always be careful about accepting and believing what we hear, no matter who it comes from, even if they are considered to be well-respected spiritual leaders. Did you get that? No matter who teaches us, no matter the teachings we receive, we need to check all those things out. Why? Why do we need to check out those who are trusted spiritual leaders or, quote, trusted spiritual leaders? Because they're human, just like we are. And in and of themselves, they're as capable of going into error and following error and teaching error and, and falsehood as we are. They are. That's why we should check out everything we hear, no matter who it comes from. Be sure to check out all that you're taught for yourself to make sure that it aligns with God's word so that your spiritual well-being is not jeopardized because it will affect you once you take those things in and apply them to your lives. Unfortunately, the streets of disillusionment are filled with individuals who have followed the wrong teaching of false teachers. So because of all the false teaching that threatened the church of John's day, God inspired John to share a simple solution with the believers he was writing to. I want you to look at verse number 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. John gave a simple way to identify those truly God-called leaders from those who weren't. The test is simple. You see, true spiritual leaders, godly spiritual leaders, God-sent spiritual leaders, have to confess two things, John says. First of all, that Jesus is God's prophetic Messiah, the one who was prophesied that would come. Secondly, that he was God's incarnate son and is God's incarnate son. That means he left heaven to come to earth and take on flesh. He pre-existed in heaven before he came here. He was at the right hand of God the Father, seated. They need to believe those two things. And if they deny either one of them, just like people today, 
They are to be considered an antichrist or those that are working against Christ and not for Christ. They're working against everything that Christ came to accomplish and do. Verse number four. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is what? What's the word? He who is in you is what? Greater than who? He who is in the world. You see, when we trust Christ as our Savior, God places His Holy Spirit within us. Think about it. Who is the Holy Spirit? Who is He? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's the third person of the Godhead. The third person of the Trinity, what we call the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons. Not personalities, persons in one Godhead. And they all coexist together and they all are in agreement 100% of the time and never work against each other. Always work with each other to accomplish the purposes of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We have a power living within us that's greater than he who is in the world. Who is it talking about? He who is in the world. Who is it talking about? Satan. He's more powerful than Satan. Satan is powerful, but let me say this. He's not all powerful. Aren't you glad for that? But we do have an all powerful heavenly father who's able to do everything and anything he chooses at any time he chooses, any way he chooses. He's not to be put in a box. He's God. He can do anything. Anytime he chooses, any way he chooses. And he's all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present with us today. You see, wise Christians are spiritually discerning and empowered individuals, not afraid to oppose the wrong teachings and influences of others. You say, how can I ever stand against this world and the direction it's going and all of the wrong in the world? How can I ever do that? I'll tell you how you can do that. Because you have a power living within you to help you to do what's right and please God. In and of yourself, you don't have that power. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior... You are struggling in your life and you're going to continue to struggle to please God. Why? Because you do not have God's Holy Spirit living within you, the third person of the Trinity, to empower you and enable you to be pleasing to God and to break away from sin and to live a godly life. Christians have that. Verse number five. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Listen to this. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. 
By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The Holy Spirit had not only drawn these individuals to Jesus Christ that John's addressing, but he had indwelt and empowered them, but also had given them the ability to stand against those who wrongfully taught, those who claimed to be God-sent, those who were satanically sent to promote his, Satan's deceptive lies and lead believers from truth into error and follow ways that weren't of God, to deny Jesus Christ as being the Messiah. Those stand against, they had the power to stand against those people and stand against their false teaching and stand on their firm beliefs and convictions and doctrinal truths that they had embraced. Jesus had previously stated in John 16, 13, I want you to see this first. When the Spirit, let's read it together. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all what? Truth. Let's back up. Let's all read it aloud together. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. Now, as we learned previously in this study, false teachers that were hounding these believers never did embrace the same doctrine that, true, that these true believers believed in. No, they didn't believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be or that he had the ability to forgive sins and give eternal life to anyone. They didn't believe that. You see, they had no intention of aligning themselves with what these believers believed and the doctrine that they followed. And the biblical beliefs that they embraced. They had no intention on moving along in the same lines as these believers did doctrinally. They only had one thing in mind. They wanted to deceive and sway, subtly sway these believers from what they believed. Into denying Christ and all he was and all he did and all the ability he had. Why did they do that? Well, like false teachers of our day. They knew that if they could remove Christ from their beliefs and practices, doctrinal beliefs and practices, if they would remove him, they would remove the cornerstone that supported everything they believed in, and their faith would collapse. The faith in Christ that they had would totally collapse. A wise Christian never allows anything or anyone to threaten the faith they have in Christ. If you're a wise believer, and I pray that you are, you're not going to let anything take you away from your strong doctrinal position and beliefs and practices that you believe and practice about Christ and who he is and all he is. You see, Jesus is, and get this, Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith. He's the cornerstone of our faith. And without him, we would lack some things. I want you to see some things that we would lack. Three important things we would lack. First of all, we would never have God's forgiveness if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. You can be glad that Jesus is all he said he 
was and is all he says he is. Because, because Jesus is all of that, we can have total forgiveness in Christ. I remember what it was like living my life, feeling guilty about where I was. Not, not really feeling like I was going to make heaven. I, re, I, under, I fully understand if you're here this morning and you're like that. Because I was there. How I wanted to go to heaven, but I knew I probably wouldn't make it. But not knowing how I could make it. And struggling with that my entire life. Listen, I didn't know what true forgiveness was until I came to know Jesus as my personal Savior. Without Jesus, I wouldn't have God's forgiveness. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 12 through 14. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Get this. He has delivered us from the what? Dominion of darkness. And transferred us into the what? Kingdom of his love. The kingdom of his beloved son. In whom we have redemption. He purchased us to God. We have redemption through Christ. And the forgiveness of sins. Without Jesus Christ. Secondly. We would never experience God's love and acceptance. On our own we can never be accepted by God. Because we are sinners. And because we're sinners, we're totally separated from God. Totally. There's no way that we can be accepted by God with our sins. Why? Because God is what? Holy. Totally holy. He can't allow sin to enter into his presence or sinners to enter into his presence with their sin. Something had to happen. And that thing that happened was that we've, we're totally forgiven in Christ and we're accepted by God. You see, without Jesus, we would never experience God's love and acceptance. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, still sinners, still without spiritual strength, spiritually lost at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Any takers here? Did Christ, how many of you were ungodly when Christ saved you? Yeah, we all were. God viewed us as sinners. In fact, might sound kind of harsh, but the Bible says we were enemies with God. We were enemies of God. But now we're children of God because of what Christ did. For no... For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God, I love that. I love it when it talks about that, but God. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do I hear a hallelujah? Hallelujah. You ought to be shouting hallelujah. He showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood as Christians, as believers, we are justified before God eternally. That means our record has been espunged by the blood of Christ. Never to be brought up again before God. How cool is that? We've been justified by our faith, by his blood, and our faith in what he did on the cross. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. We're never going to experience God's wrath as believers. You know, I get a kick out of these believers that have been saved and they've trusted Christ as their Savior and they know that, but they walk around thinking, well, I hope God's not going to just punish me terribly because I struggle with sin in my life. Listen, we're passed from God's wrath. He might make us uncomfortable to get us back into the place we need to be in our relationship with him so that we can receive all the blessings he has for us that we're missing out on because we're not living for God. But the wrath of God is past. He lovingly leads us back to the place that we need to be in our relationship with him when we fail him. For if we were enemies, if while, let me back up, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, brought back into a relationship with God, a proper relationship with God, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We've been reconciled back to God as God's children, as God's loved children, eternally loved children. Romans chapter 8, verse number 35. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For I am sure, not I wonder, well, I think I might be, no. For I am sure, the Apostle Paul says, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thirdly, without Jesus, we would never experience God's heaven, but be eternally separated from him in eternal hell. Without Jesus intervening in our lives and forgiving us of our sins and saving our souls and bringing us into an accepted place, in God's eternal family. Without all of that, we would miss heaven completely and have to embrace hell and spend eternity there forever. But Ephesians chapter, eight, verse, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 4 says this, But God, being rich in His mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins made us alive together with Christ 
By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. Let me say this. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, it's just as if you're in heaven already. The reservations are made for you. No one can take those reservations away or cancel them. You are eternally promised heaven by God. It says it right here. It's not what you feel you are. It's what you can know you are. Because God's word is true. God's word never lies. God always keeps his promises and never breaks a promise. And he's promised you as his child that you're eternally, eternally going to be blessed with heaven. And it's just as if you're already there. Chapter 4 and verse number 7 of 1 John. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Listen, it's only because of God's transformational love in our hearts and lives that we know how to properly love other people. We didn't know how to properly love other people before we experienced God our, God's love ourselves. You see, non-believers cannot have and do not have and can never have that type of God-like love for other people because they've never experienced it themselves. Verse number 9. In this, is, in this, the love of God was made manifest. That means shown among us. That God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation. That means an appeasing sacrifice. I put those words in there because that's what these words mean. You'll not see it in your Bible. Appeasing sacrifice for our sins. You see, even though we didn't deserve it, and we won't ever deserve it, God chose to send his son to this earth from heaven, just specifically for us. For us. For you. And if you were the only person on this planet ever, God would have sent his son for you. For you. Not because you deserved it. Not because you earn it. Not because of anything you've done to earn points with God. Because we can't do enough. The Bible says, as, as uh, Paul talked about this morning in Sunday school, us at our best, all we have to offer God is like filthy rags before God. The filthiest filthy rag on this planet. That's what all of our goodness is before God. Because God is perfectly holy. Even though we didn't deserve it, even though we were sinners, God showed the greatness of his love for us by sending his only, his only sinless son to come and suffer and die for sins that weren't his, that were ours, so that we might be eternally 
forgiven. Our sin debt might be eternally paid. And we might see God's wrath appeased. So we wouldn't have to ever experience it. Why? So that we could experience God's eternal forgiveness, but be secured eternally as part of his eternal family, a member of his eternal family. You see, there's no greater love than that. No greater love. We talk about the veterans, and a lot of veterans have suffered and died for us so that we can experience the freedoms and the privilege we have of worshiping here this morning to gathering together as, other, as believers publicly and publicly proclaim our love for Christ without persecution, without fear. You see, Christ's love was even greater than that. Get this. He took not only your sin and my sin, but the sins of the entire world. Past, present, future. Upon himself and took all those sins to the cross to fully pay the price for the sin of all mankind. All of us. What greater love is there than that? Is it any wonder than it, that in the garden he just fell to his knees and prayed, Father, if there's any other way, why don't you take care of this matter of mankind's sin? But because there is no other way, I'm willing to go to the cross. And think of all he endured. Not only on the cross, but on the way to the cross. During the unfair trials that he faced. He did that for you. He did it for me. He did it for all mankind. So that through trusting in what he has done on the cross, we might be eternally justified. Therefore, being justified by faith, Romans 5, 1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into the grace wherein we now stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse number 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Awful quiet in here. How much did God love you? Infinitely. And he continues to love you infinitely. Shouldn't that change the way that we treat other people? I think the greatest, <laughs> the greatest challenge of living for God is in the home. Shouldn't that affect the way we treat our husbands, our wives, our children, our parents, our grandparents, those we say we love? That ought to change the way we think and we act and react to those people. You see, we need the same mindset the Apostle Paul had. Because God had done great things in that guy's life. 
Remember the Apostle Paul? Letters in his hand. Names of believers that loved God with all their heart. He's got them in his hand on the road to Damascus to arrest those Christians. And many Christians were arrested and died as a result of the Apostle Paul's persecution because he was the head Jew, Jewish leader, the head of the, per the movement that persecuted Christians at that time. He wanted to wipe Christianity off the face of the planet because he was Jewish and thought that they were a cult. Letters in his hand on the road to Damascus, and guess what? <laughs> God changed his life. Don't ever say that God, that people are beyond salvation and never view people in this life beyond salvation because if there was anyone that was beyond salvation, it was the Apostle Paul. And we would have thought that in our mind and many of the Jewish people thought that in their mind, and many of the Christians thought that in their mind. There was no one more powerful and more sinister and more wicked than the Apostle Paul was to Christians. But yet God saw him and said, you know what, I'm going to use this guy. Of all people, he didn't choose the most godly person on the planet to use. He used one of the most ungodly. But Saul, chapter 9, verse number 1, still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Now as he went his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, the apostle Paul. Saul was his name. It was changed to, the apostle, to Paul. And he's known as the apostle Paul, who wrote many of our New Testament books, by the way. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. You see, God miraculously saved Saul, or the Apostle Paul, I believe, on the road to Damascus. A lot of people argue that. That's debatable when he was saved. But obviously, he knew this was a supernatural individual talking to him. And he addressed him as Lord. And it was clear that it was Jesus Christ. After resurrection appearance, of Jesus Christ because this is Jesus the one you're persecuting I want to use you what am I to do Lord you see God not only saved the Apostle Paul he used him and empowered him to share the message of Jesus salvation throughout the world known world of that day and he protected and sustained the Apostle Paul during times of tremendous rejection and persecution. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 24. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And we think we have it bad when people reject us for our faith and our testimony. We know nothing about persecution and suffering like the Apostle Paul went through. Very little about that. But yet, when people don't receive us why aren't people receiving me I, don't, I can't understand it God I'm just living for you forget all that stuff man what do you expect those people are non-believers of course they aren't going to like you why because you're living for God and they aren't and God uses that to convict their heart and life and they turn against you. They work against you. They say things against you. They mock you. They mistreat you. Maybe they even try to set you up so that you're fired at work. I had that happen in my life. But many times we say, Lord, why are you allowing this to happen, myself included? We ought to be ashamed of ourselves. We ought to count it a privilege to suffer for Christ. Like the Apostle Paul did. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 7, the last part of that verse through verse number 10. A thorn was given me in the flesh, Paul says, a messenger of Satan to harass me. We don't know what this thorn in the flesh was, some physical type of infirmity. Some say it, must, it might be poor eyesight from that blinding light that he experienced on the road to Damascus. We don't know. The truth of the matter is we do not know. But Paul suffered some type of physical infirmity, some type of physical problem to keep him from becoming conceited, big-headed about his faith in Christ in verse number 7. Three times, he says, I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but God said this, my grace is sufficient for you, for my, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I want you to read this together out loud. Let's stand as we read this. I want you to read this scripture together out loud. Let's read. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am what? Weak. Then I am what? Strong. Listen, we're strong in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul looked back on his life and he said, listen, I've been through a lot in my life. But one thing I can say is that God has worked in my life 
and totally transformed me, and I am indebted to him and other people. Let me ask you a question, and I'm going to close with this. After all God has done for you, shouldn't you feel obligated to do something for him? Shouldn't we all like the Apostle Paul? You know, one of the greatest ways that we can do something for God is to live a selfless, caring, loving, sacrificial life in our service toward others. How many of you have ever wished that you could just serve the Lord, that he'd be here and you'd be just be able to serve the Lord? Anybody ever think that? I've thought that in my life time and time again. Well, you know what? The Lord's not here, but he left us here so that we could reflect him to other people in what we say, what we do, and our loving actions toward him. As you look back at your life, what has God done for you that makes you want to do something special for him? That's something special you can do. Pour your life out into the lives of other people. Share the gospel with those around you that don't know Christ. Be an encouragement to those Christians that are struggling, going through a difficult time in their lives. Be Jesus to somebody. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we could spend together this morning. Thank you for speaking to our hearts and into our lives, your word. Lord, thank you for all you've done in our lives, and Lord, help us to give our lives totally back to you in selfless service to other people. And Lord, we'll thank you for how you use us. Lord, I pray that we prayed at the beginning that you would speak to hearts and lives of those that have never trusted you as their Savior. Maybe you're one of those people here this morning, and you would say, Brother Jeff, I'm not so sure that I'm a child of God, that my sins have ever been totally forgiven, but if I could leave this place knowing all that this morning, that's my desire, that's what I want more than anything else right now as God is speaking to my heart. I want you to pray for me that I'll settle that matter before I leave this place this morning. Who here would raise their hand with every head bowed and every eye closed and say, Lord, that's where I'm at this morning. Now, Jeff, I want you to pray for me. Anyone here? that would raise their hand and say, pray for me, that's my request. Okay. Lord, I pray for those that raised their hand this morning, that they'd settle that matter with you today. Lord, that they'd walk out of this place totally forgiven, that you'd remove the guilt of their sin as well as forgive their sin. And Lord, that they'd know for sure they're a child of God and heaven's they have heavenly reservations waiting for them when they leave this life. Lord, I pray for all the rest of us here. Lord, you spoke to each and every one of our hearts. Lord, I know that because your word, you say your word never returns void, never returns empty, but accomplishes what you'd have it to accomplish in our hearts and lives as we hear it, as we read it, as we receive it. And Lord, help us to walk out of this place changed this morning because you spoke to our hearts and lives. And help us to make the adjustments we need in our lives. Lord, that we might just 
shine brightly for you and be all you called us to be to others. Help us to be right with you ourselves. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Let's sing a closing hymn.